Hi, it's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. As we gear up for award season, there's no better time to join us. By becoming a Vanity Fair subscriber, you'll gain exclusive access to our in-depth coverage of film, television, and the best of Hollywood. And that's just the beginning. Vanity Fair takes you inside the worlds of entertainment, culture, politics, and scandal, bringing you iconic images, era-defining stories, and much more. Get 15% off a year of digital access to Vanity Fair by visiting VanityFair.com and using promo code POD15 at checkout. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a full year of insights and exclusive digital access. Subscribe now. Less than 1% of the world's diamonds are worthy of the Forevermark inscription, a promise of beauty, rarity, and responsible sourcing. Forevermark, a diamond is forever. Find your design at forevermark.com. This episode of Little Gold Men is brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter offer cold gold men, that's G-O-L-D-M-E-N, at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace, build it beautiful. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair and Panoply. I'm Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm here with Vanity Fair's digital director, Mike Hogan. Hi, Katie. And Vanity Fair's film critic, Richard Lawson. Hello. This week, we have yet another amazing guest who is Best Director nominee Lenny Abrahamson, who made the Best Picture nominee Room, starring Brie Larson, a Best Actress nominee. We're going to ask him about making the leap from well-liked indies like Frank and What Richard Did to the total chaos of Oscar season, and then what it's like to film that movie being locked in a room with Brie Larson for a long time. Doesn't sound so bad. From there, we'll take a larger look at award season and the careers of everyone who's involved. Before the Oscars actually get handed out, we kind of want to look at who's gotten the biggest career boost out of their nomination, who's going to take advantage of it the most, all of that future stuff. And then finally, we'll go big before we go home and take one last look at the Best Actress race. So now we're going to be joined by Lenny Abrahamson, who is the director of Room. His previous films, What Richard Did and Frank, were kind of indie sensations, but Room, with its four Oscar nominations, has kind of launched him to a new level. So we'll talk to him about what that uh, change in his career has been like and uh, his genuine surprise at getting an Oscar nomination. Everyone says they're surprised, but when Lenny says it, we believe it for some reason. Hey, Lenny, welcome to the show. Great pleasure to be talking to you guys. We wanted to just jump right in to talk about what did it feel like when this nomination came through? Were you up watching? Were you, uh, what was the emotion? Yeah, I I was at home in in Ireland in my house and I'd come back from LA a couple of days before. So I was a bit jet lagged, which means that it's hard to get up in the morning. So I'd kiss the kids goodbye as they went to school and then went back to sleep. And my wife woke me up about 20 minutes before the broadcast to say, you're going to watch this. And I kind of nervously trundled downstairs in my pajamas and um, we watched it together. So yeah, it was, it was extraordinary. I mean, I think I was really hoping Brie would get nominated and I I think people felt she would. And so just wanted that to happen. And then Emma got nominated as well. And that was already just felt wonderful. And then when they called out my name, I just sort of kept, I just sat there (laughs) staring at the screen while my wife jumped around the kitchen and, you know, freaked our dogs out. And um, and then, yeah, it was, it was extraordinary because I, I really wasn't expecting it. And I think that made it all the 
more lovely. You know, just it it felt very unreal and but at the same time fantastic. And then, you know, my phone just exploded and uh, there was a whole. You know, in Ireland it's a big deal as well because you've got Brooklyn and. Right. Michael Fassbender is nominated, and there's a whole bunch of Irish people connected this year. So it was a big story at home, a really, really big story. And can I just clarify one thing? You said you're in your pajamas, you were sleeping, but isn't it? Wasn't it like two o'clock in the afternoon in <laughs> Ireland? Yeah, I, I, <laughs> now, and now everybody knows just what a kind of pathetic, lazy couch <laughs> potato I am. <laughs> well, congratulations. I, I, as I said, I was jet lagged because I have somewhat of an excuse. I was just trying uh, to confirm. You say you weren't expecting it. I mean, and you know, I don't think it's a secret that like a lot, you know, your name did not come up as often in predictions as it might have. But did had it is yeah. it a moment you had allowed yourself to imagine? Like, were you were you had you th- imagined your name on that screen, or was it really just like a bolt from the blue? Oh no, I really hadn't. I mean, I of course at some point I maybe had, but I think I had. I had accepted the punditry that mm. that I was probably, and you know, also I know that the movie is the direction is really it. It's supposed to be invisible, you know. It, it's I always want there to be this kind of just immediate encounter with the with the world, and 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 the, the the way you do that is to sort of make you know. There's a lot of stitching, but it's very very tiny, and therefore it's you hope it's going to be invisible. But and so I kind of. I accepted that that I, you know, it to an extent done my job very well, and that I was, you know, I was going to be not part of that discussion, which was fine by me. So I think I'd really come to terms with that. And then, you know, to have been nominated by the vote of the director section was just wonderful because it meant that people, you know, my peers and people that I respect, could see the work and mm. and had had chosen to reward it, and that was yeah, that was pretty amazing. When did you realize that Room, as a as a movie as a whole, was kind of maybe on this path towards sort of awards season? And you know, because it was it premiered in the fall at, at Telluride and then at, at Toronto. Right. And when in that in that process did you say, "Oh, I think we might actually have some momentum here"? Well, I think it was it was some it was probably about March of last year when. Myself and Ed Guiney, the producer, and Andrew Lowe, uh, the executives who we work very closely with, came to New York to screen the movie for A24, who are our distributors, and some other key stakeholders in, in the project. And I'd been working on it in the cutting room with Nathan, the editor, and, and really only one or two people had seen what we where we were. And we all felt that it was very powerful. But, you know, until you kind of get out there, it's very hard to, to judge I mean, it's very close to something. It's quite hard to judge. That screening was definitely, there was something in the air there. People, there was a really great reaction to it. It took people a while because I think it's it's quite a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a very moving film. So there was kind of silence afterwards. And I remember thinking, is this good silence or, or bad silence? Mm, and right. then gradually as people started to talk, you realized that it was good. And, and then people started to have what I now recognize as a kind of coded conversation about release dates. So mm. they were talking about, huh. you know, is it spring release or now we're thinking maybe this is an autumn release? And I thought, well, it's all fine, you know, because I didn't really at that point realize just how significant those decisions are, you know. And what they were really saying is, are we going to go for, is there going to be an awards push for the movie? Right. You know, and, and you know, because that's what an autumn release means. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was the first time I recognized that, yeah, people are maybe going to 
get behind this because they recognize there's something special about it. And that was exciting. Uh, but it was also kind of, it brought a different kind of pressure because until that moment, I wasn't aware really that that decision was there to be made. I think naively, I thought, you know, you make a movie, it, if it's good, people like it. And if it's not, they don't. And if they really like it, maybe, you know, it, it gets some awards. You know, right. I didn't realize sure. that, that there was such a kind of, you know, it's a big machine that needs to crank into action if you really do want to put the movie out at that time of year when the market is so crowded. And it takes a lot of guts from the distributor. It takes a lot of investment. So that's when I began to realize, oh, well, there really is a question here. And I hope it's answered in the way that, that we all want it to be. Oh, and one of the questions that I wanted to ask you was the the film, you know, just on a sheer quality grounds is really extraordinary. But once you start getting into that thing of like, uh, okay, how are we going to turn it to best advantage for awards? Yeah. Did you find yourselves grappling with the kind of darkness of it and asking yourselves how yeah. you're going to get people to watch it, especially if they're watching screeners in some sunny, you know, living room in Los Angeles? That's exactly it. I mean, that's the biggest challenge you've put your finger on because, and that's been the challenge all the way with this movie, because although I think people who see it recognize, and they'll, they'll frequently tell their friends or tell me that they tell their friends, oh, it's okay. It's not what you think. Right. It's gonna, you know, <laughs> I, you'll have, be fine. I have said exactly that to get my mom to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> and she loved there it. There you go. <laughs> and has she? You know, yeah, she loved it. So it totally worked. Right. You see, so it worked. That's <laughs> yeah. good to know. <laughs> I'm interrogating you about whether your mom has watched it. I if she hasn't, she's I'm a fan. You, she's not, you know, I'm going to give you a really not, hard time. She's not an Academy um, voter, but she's a fan, so hopefully that counts for something. That's good to know. They're the important ones. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, that was the challenge because talking it's very easy for the movie to be talked about in a, in, a, in a way which gives, I think, a really false impression. I mean, if you just talk about the setup, where it takes place, and who the characters are, you really immediately, I think, people's minds jump to a series of images which are pretty forbidding and which, right. you know, make it, make, it a, make it a tricky call if you're going to put that DVD in the, in, the, in the player. But actually, it's not what the movie is. But it's always hard to get a subtle message out, you know. And I think it's been mostly word of mouth and it's been smart marketing, I think, where the decision was made pretty early on that you really have to tell people about both sides of this story in the marketing materials. You can't, you can't hold back. If you do, really, you're going to put a lot of people off who would otherwise, I think, really love the movie. That is telling people that they do get out of the room, that there's a story after exactly. the Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yep. There's a story mm-hmm. after the room and that they're okay and that the boy is okay mm-hmm. and nothing really terrible happens to him. Because, no, you know, it's very, very hard for people, me included as a parent, to contemplate watching something if I think I'm going to see a kid suffering. Yes. So it's very important for people to know, no, you don't. There is no, the boy is, is remarkably well protected by his mother. Well, and another subtlety is it's emotional and you come out of it, but it's cathartic. It's not depressing. Yes. It's, it's an emotionally cathartic film. So it's moving. That might be a lot to go through, but it's not like a, a nightmare to go through. It's not like. Um, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, and it's, we're sometimes, you know, not helped by what for me feels like sort of lazy sub-editor headline writing, you know, which is like, you know, emotionally devastating. And you think, well, emotionally devastating could be the most grueling and awful film you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Or it could be, what they really mean is that you'll, it'll, you know, you will really feel something. Yes. And, and you'll be hugely moved, but in a way which I think is ultimately life-affirming. You know, mm-hmm. so it's been a, it's been tough. But you know, the nominations, for example, have just had such a huge effect on 
on box office because people just go, oh, I re-, you know, that movie that I've been kind of humming and hawing, will I or won't I? I better see it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, so I think there's a lot, there are a lot of people out there who do want to see the film, but will, they just have to take a lot of deep breaths and be told <laughs> again and again and again that they're going to be okay. Uh, beyond the nominations themselves or your nomination um, in particular, what, as you've kind of worked your way through the kind of machinations and the machinery of, the, of awards campaigns and awards season, what's been the biggest surprise that you've encountered? Um, that's a really good question. I think, well, in a really basic way, how long and, and intense it is. Yeah. Yes. I remember at the beginning being told, um, ho, ho, you know, you're on a train now, boy, you're going to really... I hope you're fit and I hope you're, you know, eat well, take some exercise. And I thought, come on, guys, we're not, you know, we're not climbing Everest. This is, I've done publicity before, I thought naively, you know, but it is really, really, it is a lot and it is long. And I've met most of the other filmmakers on the circuit and they all feel the same. And, and it's not also something, to be fair, that you can complain about successfully in your normal life because you'll just be met with outright hatred by everybody you know you're saying oh another flight another hotel <laughs> more parties oh you know people really don't want to hear that so 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 it's quite funny you know when you're on the on the train you you tend to do your complaining to people who are on it as well so i didn't i think that was one big thing the other thing was i think which has been uh really heartening actually is that this is a very, everybody says, a very open year and a very unusual year and that there are a lot of strong films, but nobody is kind of really sure what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And that's been good because I think at the beginning I, I took seriously, I tried not to read too much of it, but I did take the punditry very seriously. I thought these people seem like they absolutely know what's going on. But of course, in a really great way, nobody really knows what's going on. And that's been, that's been a sort of positive thing. We're sorry for any uh, nerves we may have given you. We're among those pundits and we don't know what's going on. Yeah. No, but you know what? It's like once you know that, you realize, well, it's good. It's just, it's just like sports stuff, you mm-hmm. know, where right. people are, the opinions are informed. But, but I think the idea that it's absolutely, you know, that, it's, that there's a science to it. Of course, there isn't, you yeah. know. Not this um, year. That's for sure. It's not been, this year. It's been that, humbling that in a sure. really fun way. Yeah. Uh, to to see that yeah it's it's been wide open. The thing that I think is is unusual with Room is that it's it's an interesting film to try and build a narrative around because it's a small movie in one sense, but it's also pretty big emotionally. And so we're trying to kind of find ways of talking about it, which point that up. And you know, it's been it, the whole process has been really interesting to me. I love hearing that you've met all the other directors or most of the other directors on the circuit because, I mean, even when we look at the um, Oscar nominees luncheon that happened recently, we kind of watch everyone talking yeah. and wonder what you talk about. I'm curious, when you see Tom McCarthy or Adam McKay or George Miller, like, what do you yeah. talk about when you meet those guys? You're the competition. Well, it's, it, I mean, sometimes, like with George Miller, it's like a sort of fan relationship because, you know, I watched all his movies and think he's great and he's an exceptionally nice man as well. I'm a really lovely, open person. With Tom, I did a, uh, I think it was a variety piece with him where we were both interviewed together. So we met quite a while ago and actually just get on very, very well. So we talk about everything, you know, from movies to what we're doing to family, you know, and, and just generally about how each of us is surviving the the process. So, yeah, it's, it varies, you know, but I actually think that the nice thing is they've definitely formed some friendships that will, I think, continue past this this part. And then the other thing is, you know, people people are fans as well as 
practitioners. So it's nice to meet people whose movies you like and, 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 and to talk to people who like yours. And, and, and then sometimes the conversation is really, you know, film geek conversation about how you shot stuff and mm-hmm. why you chose to do something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's brilliant. As a director, you don't work with other directors. You, you work, you're the only per- director on the show, and therefore having a chance to talk to other people about how they do things and how they approach stuff is, is, is really, really good. What is it like to see this whole... Uh, I mean, obviously, when you were making the, the film uh, with Jacob Tremblay, who's a young kid, I think he's, what, eight or nine mm-hmm. now? Yeah. You know, obviously, there, I've read a lot about, you know, making sure that he was taken care of on set. and But now you're kind of out in the wild. The movie's out. Uh, and he's been the kind of the hit of, of various kind of public appearances. What is it like kind of doing this tour with, with a, a kid who's really seeing this with, uh, with such new kind of fresh eyes? Well, it's funny. It's like there's a, there's a parallel to the, to the movie. You know, um, he's, he's heading out into this really big world. And actually, Brie, too, you know, she's, she's entering a, 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 an entirely different phase of her career. So yeah. I think in both cases, it's really gratifying because I think they are enjoying it. I think it is ultimately a really good, I mean, certainly a really good thing. Um, I have such, you know, love for both of them. I think they're both incredible. And so for me, it's deeply satisfying to see that happen. The great thing about being around Jake is that he takes all the heat off you because that's where everybody, everybody just wants to talk to Jake. I mean, you know, I can just disappear. I mean, I look around, I looked around at the nominee's luncheon and he was posing for a photograph with Sylvester Stallone mm-hmm. pretending to be knocked out by his little fist. <laughs> and, you know, I remember at the governor's ball, um, looked around one moment, he was talking to Johnny Depp the next to Will Smith, you know. He's talking to Leonardo. It's it's fabulous. You know, it's he he's he is the center of attention as he should be. Are you going to wind up asking him to introduce you to someone famous who you want to meet, but uh, doesn't want well, to talk to you? Well, you know what? I, I'll tell you what. I'll, between you and me, he said to me, he said we were at the I think it was the governor's ball, and he said he said, hey, do you want to come over and meet Johnny Depp? <laughs> and I said, you know what, Jake? It's hard to explain why that why that won't work. You know, <laughs> like the idea of being dragged by Jake, you know, to Johnny Depp, Johnny Depp having to pretend to be interested to meet me just because this sweet kid is telling him. But it was really, really lovely. Yes, but I think in future I will, I will most definitely be asking Jake for, for introductions. But one of the other, I mean, obviously Brie Larson in Brie Larson, you know, not to jinx anything, I, I don't think I could, but you've got someone who has an extremely good chance of winning. Have yeah. you, what's it been like to watch her and see her, you know, deal with all this and, and, and how she's reacting to it? Well, it's been great because she is such a, a well-grounded person. You know, she's, I think people say nice things about each other all the time and in this industry and especially around awards time, but from the bottom of my heart, she's, and I think anybody who's met her will, will agree, she's very, very grounded, very kind, and, uh, and I think understands herself that she needs to take care of herself through this process. So, yeah. And she's got great people around her, and she's, she's, her mother's wonderful. And so I think whenever we see each other, we just kind of shake our heads and laugh. And, <laughs> and I think she's, so she's not, you know, it's not like she, I'm suddenly watching somebody taking themselves really seriously or, or in any way changing. Brie, I think, is one of the most naturally equipped people, you know, in terms of her capacity to deal with something like this. And, and that's gratifying. And I think Jake is protected by having great parents who are just concerned about him as a child. 
above anything else. And, yeah. you know, I, I, so I, I feel like both of them are are safe and in a really good place to to benefit from this, but to avoid the, the you know, the sorts of pitfalls that we all know are out there. That's reassuring. Well, <laughs> well and I'm old. I'm old, so it, I'm totally fine. Well, you're I was, was going to, you know, how about you? You're not, you know, facing the pitfalls of sudden fame, but you know, the kind, the kinds of phone calls and scripts that are coming to you surely have yeah. changed. Like, what does that road look like yeah. for you? I mean, what's the is the Oscar nomination the magic ticket that we all think it is, where you get vaulted into you, a new level? Yes. I mean, it's definitely, and actually, this has probably been the case incrementally since since we showed the film at Telluride, because. Within the industry, it, the buzz grew very quickly, and I was on lots of lists, and you know, and, and and blipping on people's radar suddenly in a different way. But but then since the nomination, that just gets compounded. So it is, it does open up doors massively, no question. And I can, I sort of get to read everything, and I'm certainly, you know, considered for lots of lots of you know things. And I'm, and in terms of actors who who I might want to work with, then that becomes, you know, that much more possible. And But I, I suppose that for myself, I've always chosen projects on the basis of just that very, you know, instinctual kind of reaction to the material and to the things, the ideas that I want to explore. So I work really closely with Ed Guiney, who produced Room, and we're going to continue doing that. And Although I'm reading stuff that comes from outside, and some some of it's you know some some of it there are one or two things that I'm genuinely interested in. I think the bulk of the movies that I make will be the ones that have come from inside the unit of creative people that I've always worked with, and mm. I think it just means that some of the bigger ideas that we've had um, and the bigger properties that we have, you know, books wise and stuff, they become that much more easily funded and. And we can and we can make them with that much more control. So, I think as long as I use it, that's the way. I think that's the sort of leverage. I think that's sensible. I think the idea that you just jump aboard to the biggest and most glamorous stuff that you can get hold of that's the, that's a recipe for a short, you know, a short career. Mm-hmm. Well, and, that, and that's the benefit of having of having a career that's in full swing, where you have that creative team yeah. that you can turn to. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, you're not, I think somebody asked me, what, you know, how would you have felt if this happened to you in your late 20s, for example? I think that would have been probably, you know, diff- really difficult to negotiate. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Because it, you, it's, it, I don't think you have the personal weight to resist all that stuff. You know, it, mm-hmm. you get blown around the place, I think. And whereas now I'm, like, we're, we're, we have a pretty good, we have a very good operation. I mean, even just being able to get hold of room, do it justice, make it, bring it out into the world, you know, that speaks to a a pretty solid uh, team of people. And, you know, it, it just, I, it's great because it means I can sort of make the bigger things I want to make, but on the same terms, which is, you know, maintaining a reasonable degree of creative control, making it about what I want it to be about, but I've met some, you know, having said that, I've met some really, really good people in the in the studio system as well. And I think if ever there was something that overlapped, you know, my interest on theirs, then I wouldn't rule it out. Well, I think I think Richard and I would both like to see you make Frank too, but he's a superhero and he kind of like <laughs> oh, that's a good you know, idea. Yep, uh, yeah, like I mean, a small town in the Midwest. Maybe or yeah, maybe a slightly slightly higher tech head. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the head <laughs> right. would have some special powers, I think. 
I'm actually uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm rooting for you and Jack Rayner to both just you know like take over the world at this point. I feel like it started with what Richard did. Like room is really teed it up. It's uh, the t- the time has come. Well, it's funny. I've spoken to Jack. I see. I do see Jack quite a bit, and I would yeah. We both say that all the time. We definitely, definitely aim to find something something to do together. He's got a great role in a in a, a, a recent Irish Sundance breakout, uh, Sing Street. So yeah, yeah. I haven't seen. I'm dying to see it because John, I, I have great respect for the the director, and I've heard it's great. It is. It's it's really it's really fun. I, I have a theory about about Room from an Irish perspective. I'm sure. going to throw it out, and you can tell me if I'm wrong. Mike or not. lived in Ireland. So I did live in Ireland coming for, from somewhere. for nine months. I'm, okay, I'm, I'm scared of what's coming next. <laughs> Go for it. Is there any kind of historical allegory thing here of the people uh, of an Ireland in the post-colonial era of the people being led out of the room and having to kind of learn to deal with freedom? Well, not that not that ever occurred to me consciously, but I would say that I think it's such a powerful metaphor that people find it resonates in all sorts of ways that we could never have predicted. I mean, right. so if, chi- if, if coming out of the cozy myths of childhood into the kind of bigger and scarier world of adulthood, that's, the, that's ultimately what it's a metaphor for, that room to, the, to world transition. It does relate to all sorts, like I said, with Bree, Bree's experience now, she said it feels like she's living the movie again, and um, even to an extent mine. And I think, yeah, we have had, plenty of serious problems since we emerged as a nation from that colonial phase into the phase of freedom. We haven't always used our freedom very wisely. And so I think that idea that release from the shackles is not the end of the story certainly applies to Ireland. I mean, the idea of the idea that freedom equals equals the end of the story, which which tends to be the case in most, you know, if you look at most dramas about any kind of release or, or, or breaking out. That's the moment. But actually, it's the bit afterwards that's right. hard. Yep. And, yep. and we've certainly made some heavy work of it in Ireland. All right. Thank you for politely telling me I'm wrong and also <laughs> saying a beautiful no, thing about you know, the film. Thank you. I, I thought it did pretty well. <laughs> I hope that's at least the most unique question that's come up yeah. or not. <laughs> no, that's never come up before. You know what? That, that's good because I've heard lots of questions and that's one I haven't heard. <laughs> yes. That's what I'm here for. Um, that seems like the note to end it on. Um, Lenny, thank you so much for joining us and getting on the phone and you know taking a break in the middle of your craziness to join our craziness. Thanks a lot, guys. <laughs> Let's pause for a word from our sponsor. In Forevermark's pursuit of absolute beauty, every Forevermark diamond undergoes a journey of rigorous selection. That's why less than 1% of the world's diamonds are worthy of the Forevermark inscription, a promise of beauty, rarity, and responsible sourcing. Each Forevermark diamond originates at a carefully selected source that provides benefits to its country and local community. This ensures that a Forevermark diamond helps improve the lives of those involved in its journey so you can feel proud to give, own, or wear your Forevermark diamond. Forevermark. A diamond is forever. Find your design at forevermark.com. that winning an Oscar could change your life, but just being nominated can also really change your career. So before the awards actually get handed out on February 28th, we wanted to take a look at this year's nominees and see what the Oscar bump has been like for them. So Mike, 
looking at it right now, who do you feel like is going to emerge out of the season as like a big star in a way that they wouldn't have been maybe had that nomination not come through? The person who kind of got confirmed that this was her year is Alicia Vikander, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we how many movies does she have in 2015? Seven? 18, maybe? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm not sure that any of them was like a mega hit. So it kind of, the it, it, you know, that could have been bad, except that she got an Oscar nomination out of it. So now mm-hmm. it's good. And in fact, people are arguing over which one she deserved the Oscar nomination for more. Yeah, Ex Machina um, or the Danish girl. Right. So I think that at least that kind of confirms the momentum that, that she would have had. But I, I do, I guess I think the person who sort of got introduced to the world in the biggest way was Sir Ronan, right? Mm-hmm. We sort of knew who Sir Ronan was. Definitely no one was really confident about pronouncing her name. And well, yeah, we're all, we're all like perfect at it <laughs> That's now. a big thing. <laughs> you know, first all the dorks who cover the Oscars have to learn how to pronounce your name and then we say it a lot and everybody else kind of figures <laughs> it out after that. So I, I know that it looks like it's unclear what project she has next. But I would think that she will have people coming to her and she'll have, uh, you know, the opportunity to make some good movies after this. Well, she's doing the very respectable thing of um, Broadway. She's mm-hmm. she's going to she's doing That's a production right. of The Crucible this spring yes. with Ben Wishaw and Tavi Gevinson mm-hmm. and Sofia Granito, another former Oscar, Oscar nominee. You know, so that'll be a little bit of a break from the Hollywood system. But this director, this Dutch director, Ivo Van Hove, is very well respected. He just did View from the Bridge with Mark Strong that's been getting these crazy good reviews. So that'll, I think, solidify her, not that she needed it really, as a serious grown-up actress at this point, I think, even though she's playing another teenager uh, in The Crucible. But I think the interesting thing to compare her to Alicia Vikander is Saoirse Ronan has been for years since her first Oscar nomination in 2007, I believe. Yeah. You know, you always have the up-and-coming before her name. Up-and-coming actress Saoirse Ronan. Right. That's now done. She got, she, but that took her, you know, however many years to yes. do it, eight years. Alicia Vikander got rid of that in a year. You know, yeah. she, yes. she just was like, okay, I'm going to do a sci fi, I'm going to do a period drama, I'm going to do a kind of ring a ding comedy with, you know, Guy Ritchie. You know, she kind of just hit all her bases and now she's just part of the establishment. I she think. did the Jessica Chastain thing, which is like through yeah, sheer exactly. blanket effort. Yeah. And effort being yeah. everywhere. And that all panned out pretty well for Jessica, Jessica Chastain. Jessica Chastain's doing great. Yeah, yeah. she got the yeah. um, Best Actress nomination but, you know, like, I, years later. I would love to, has anyone written this? I would love to read the story. Story of how that happened because Alicia Vikander. Yeah, yeah, there's a strange thing. Normally, you have to have like you have to have one big, really successful movie before you get eight roles in one year, right? Well, she so, had popped up like here and there. Like sure. she was Nana Karenina opposite Donald Gleason, our former yep. guest. Um, so she kind of had this thing where for a while everyone was saying like, oh yeah, look out for her. She's going to get this role She in was this in that thing. bad WikiLeaks movie. That's the first time oh, I remember yeah. seeing her. That's right. Maybe two or three <laughs> years ago. Yeah. yeah. So she definitely like, I guess she had a really good agent who was like, she's the next big thing and everyone, enough people were convinced at the same time that yeah. she was everywhere. I mean, she's not ugly, I would say. <laughs> I think well, when, when we had her uh, Ex Machina co-star and her uh, Anna Karenina co-star, Donald Gleason on, we asked him, so you're in four movies this year. Like, when did things get filmed? How did this all happen? And he didn't even know. And he's talking about Star Wars and some, you know. <laughs> right. So I think that for her, these are a lot of independent movies. I think that sometimes like what happened with Jessica Chastain, who had sort of been at Juilliard and then kind of gestated for a while and then just popped up. I think sometimes it's this weird coincidence of when it rains, it pours. Mm -hmm. And then it just so happens that there's one year everything comes out. So I don't think I don't know if it was like strategic exactly, but it certainly worked in her favor. And and I think the interesting thing will be to see how much if she keeps up that kind of incredible productivity. But hopefully for her, you know, sleep cycle, she takes a break. Yeah. Well, I think then it's always tricky 
tricky, right? Because it's fun to be like, oh, sure, I'll make any movie. And then it's like, now you're Oscar nominee, yeah. Alicia mm-hmm. Vikander. And how does that change your, your decision making? And your quote. <laughs> and do you, Right. And do you freeze up? Do you, do you start getting movies that are like, can afford you but aren't as good? Well, that's why it's interesting looking at people who have roles that they had lined up before all this happened. Like Brie Larson is in King Kong Skull Island, maybe Kong Skull Island. I can't remember what it's called. Right. She's filming that right now. That's something she set up before. That's the Werner Herzog documentary. Is that yes, <laughs> that would be wonderful. <laughs> uh, I don't. It's you know a King Kong. King Kong movie, Skull basically. Island. <laughs> no one must visit this island. <laughs> so she set that up before all of this happened, and now she's filming it. And you kind of wonder, like, is anything? You know, she's, is she going to win an Oscar and then show up in this blockbuster six months later? And everyone's going to be like, wait, what happened to you? I mean, this happens all the time. Eddie Redmayne yeah. was in Jupiter Ascending the same month that he won the Oscar. So right. you can't really really predict. And I don't even think people realize that Oscar nominee Brie Larson is in Trainwreck. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, she's kind she of like right. successfully yeah. hiding she out. She was in unknown that movie. even yeah. then, like yeah. six months ago. Also, is it weird that Brie and Alicia look alike? And uh, like, are people going to have a hard time? I guess we not should really. have them play sisters. That would be a great thing. Yeah. Good idea. I think Brie Larson's post-Oscar career is going to be really interesting to watch because she's someone who uh, people have been aware of in a kind of comedy sense for a long time and is now kind of taken this rather big left turn in her career. And to see kind of what people decide to do with her or Mm -hmm. or what she decides to do with herself afterward. I mean, Vikander has the kind of, uh, you know, foreign appeal. I mean, she's from Sweden, but she's played a lot of Brits and she's played... a Danish girl, you know, so I think she kind of has that sort of art house world on lock if she wants it. Brie Larson is very kind of blonde American kind of, you know, I'm just curious to see how that all kind of translates to now that she has this kind of respectable actress stamp on her resume. So when I was going through looking at like who's got stuff coming up and thinking about the historical, you know, precedent of people whose lives are changed by Oscars, I was looking at the men nominated this year and most of them seem really well poised to just keep doing the exact same thing they're doing. Like Mark Rylance, nothing is going to change about his life from having an Oscar nomination. Like Matt Damon is... Okay, wait. Okay. But maybe Mark Rylance, Mark Rylance hasn't really been a go to character actor in Hollywood and could be going forward if he right? wants to if he wanted to yeah I could see him being on like uh, some prestige cable show if he wanted to mm-hmm. you know wanted mm-hmm. a little bit of a steady paycheck maybe that shot in London or something but yeah. yeah but I don't know I mean I think that he's now probably shot up people's lists of like like the way that J.K. Simmons did right yeah, I w- yeah I would hope so If I mean yeah. I hope that he was on them already but he's always seemed like someone who's going to just going to go do Twelfth Night if he feels like it what I would love to see happen is that well we're, we're presuming that Leonardo DiCaprio is going to win Best Actor mm-hmm. um, I think everyone is if he f- gets the Oscar that people have sort of been saying finally you know like he's yeah. everyone is saying he's overdue for it what if he just did a complete turn and decided to do, like do comedy now that he's yeah. now that he's got just his serious the next Adam Sandler now oh my I, God. that would be th- I mean he's never let's, let's really done higher comedy. Than that. <laughs> yeah. yeah I don't yeah, know I mean, I Wolf of Wall Street ride along for the, Wolf of Wall Street showed great, how funny yeah. he is yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know I think that could be I think that like maybe this you know he's only what 41 42 years old mm-hmm. so he's still really young and he has plenty of time to sort of fiddle around with his career I think now that he is going to have this thing on his mantle maybe he can do something different I think it'd be cool yeah I mean the, his next thing he's making with Scorsese is about uh, is Devil in the White City where he plays a serial killer so. right there you go yeah, yeah total comedy that sounds like a laugh riot who they uh, there is a theory that that person is was Jack the Ripper oh really yeah huh I don't know. Shared universe Google of serial killers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I wonder about Brian Cranston. I feel like we always we keep forgetting that Brian Cranston is now has his first Oscar nomination because yes. in the uh, Oscars So White backlash, I think Cranston has been the biggest victim, which is not fair I to know. him. It's like it's it has not nothing fair. to do with him. I finally saw the movie actually, and it's he's good. He's very good in it. He's good. Yeah. 
But he's now a first-time Oscar nominee, so, like, that's exciting. I'm curious to see what his career becomes after this because he's so well-known and beloved on television. Like, is is going to the movies worth it for, you know, an actor in his 50s? Well, does he have that kind of 10 years later than George Clooney, like, actually becoming a real movie Mm. actor after a long career in TV? Yeah. I mean, he's not, it's obviously not the George Clooney lane, but mm-hmm. but that kind of career rhythm. Yeah, I don't really, I don't know if I see him going back to TV just because how do you top Walter White, you know? No, like, but that's yeah. what I mean. Like, yeah. like Clooney just, right, he just was left. TV. We yeah. forget that he was TV for so long. Oh, he yeah. was ER for a mm-hmm. long time. And Facts of Life before that, don't forget Although that. Cranston is still, he's so kind of theatrical even in this role. Mm-hmm. It, it works for the role. And he's but. got an LBJ movie coming up from the right. same director as Trumbo. And he won a Tony for playing LBJ, yes. I believe. Yeah, I got confused because there's another LBJ movie coming starring Jennifer Jason Lee, another Oscar nominee, but in that one, Woody Harrelson is playing LBJ. So yeah. that's a competition to but there must your be, biopics in there the There must be tons of filmmakers who are Breaking Bad fans who oh, are like, God, yeah. I would... Another question I have about this stuff, and I don't know if it works at all, but like one of the ways you can get a small movie made is if someone is known overseas, right? And Mm. then they, because they they finance independent films with what are called foreign sales estimates, right? And so like Ewan McGregor, weirdly, is in person because of Star Wars, I think, Mm -hmm. or maybe Train Spotting, or maybe the the two of them together. Probably Samuel L. Jackson, too, for the same reasons. Yeah, you can can get movies made if, but it's a weird group of people. But I wonder if having the Oscar nomination helps your international visibility. I actually bet Brian Cranston is well known overseas because of Breaking Bad. That show traveled. Like mm-hmm. there are remakes that's of it true. in several countries, and yeah, yeah, that'd be probably really interesting. more so than Trumbo. Let's face it. Yeah, yeah, that's true, definitely. But true. like for an actor like that, that's a dream mm-hmm. because then you can make little five million dollar movies for the yeah. rest of your career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and you can make interesting stuff. You can get stuff made and yeah. just decide what you're going to get made. Well, and that's something like Matt Damon and other nominees been able to do. Like yes. he can help get you know whatever Steven Soderbergh movie financed, and mm-hmm. The Martian is not that at all. Although it is a you know original kind of. A studio movie made for a lot of money that got financed because Matt Damon was able to be in it. So, yeah. But this is another kind of peak in his very kind of strange sort of undulating career where, you mm-hmm. know, he, he's in, then he's out, then he's in, and he's in, he's in a big way again. And mm-hmm. now, you know, he's got another Bourne movie that just had a commercial looks, at the Super Bowl that Vic Hander's in. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, it's, it's so he's, he's back on top, which is fascinating. And again, he's young too. So, yeah. yeah, you forget that he and Leo are both pretty young yeah. because they've been around forever. Oh, Tom Hardy is the oh, other yeah. one Tom I Hardy. thought we should talk about because now that he's Oscar nominee, Tom Hardy, that's a little different than like British madman genius, well, he, difficult genius Tom Hardy. I feel like he and Fassbender had the same route. We might have talked about this before where yes. they kept giving performances for years being like, why won't the Academy notice? And now they've been, they both have been nominated for uh, villainous supporting roles. Yeah. Um, so I guess Tom Hardy has a Steve Jobs ahead of him, hopefully. Yeah. Maybe. He's going to play Tim Cook. (laughs) (laughs) It's the Tim Cook blurry iPhone story. (laughs) Right. With Tom Hardy in the lead. Yeah. Tom Hardy playing one of the football players. Yeah. I mean, I feel like Tom Hardy is already getting great roles thrown his way, which I think is the thing that Oscars can often change for people. So I wonder how much that will change for him. I mean, for Christian Bale, a lot of them British, a lot of the movies that Tom Hardy makes, and maybe it'll stay that way. I mean, he had Mad Max this year. It's been kind of a mix, I think. Yeah. I mean, Tom Hardy tried for sort of. Uh, arguably for sort of more mainstream American stardom with that with This Means War with him and yeah, uh, Reese Witherspoon Reese and Chris Pine a disastrous romantic comedy yeah so maybe that kind of like his Hollywood star kind of ambitions have are, have changed some I don't know but like I think right. with Mad Max and now an Oscar nomination he's got to be if he wasn't already like 
first choice for a lot of things. Yeah, well, so and the Mad Max of... sequel that is probably happening will have right. him and not Charlize Theron, so he's got a lot of uh, shouldering to do. Well, and I just wonder for guys like Fassbender and Hardy if there's a point where you you get so successful that you just don't have to try this hard. Well, you know, it's kind of like the Pacino thing. Or I remember years ago, uh, the New Yorker did a profile of Jay Z, and they were saying, you know, you used to be so more adventurous in your raps, and what happened? And he was like, I don't know, which is the better Jordan, the one who could, like, hit you everywhere on every part of the court or the one who just had a fadeaway jump shot and won, you know, however many championships. Mm. I'm not enough of an NBA fan. But there, there, there comes a point where you can, like, slide into that second part of your career that's easier. Yeah. And well, I do think this type of thing helps get you there. Yeah, that's true. But uh, Hardy doesn't have his franchise like Fassbender does, so maybe he has right. to. Uh, but every director wants to work with him, so that's, yeah. that's the other way. To... Uh, one more actor to ask about who I think the answer is not at all. Uh, Sylvester Stallone, is this going to change his career at all? If, presuming he wins the Best Supporting Actor statue that we think he will? No. Uh, I think young people will know who he is now <laughs> in a way that they didn't before. Rocky's on um, Netflix. You can watch it. Well, that's true. I don't know. I think he'll just kind of, you know, keep... Keep doing his thing. Maybe Expendables Four. Oh, that... Lord! I don't know. I was really letting Creed let me forgive him for the Expendables movies, but I hated so much. <laughs> Honestly, he's been so good uh, in in interviews and uh, you know at various public events. He he was pretty eloquent. I thought um, at the Oscar, the nominees luncheon yeah, about he and the Jacob Oscar Tremblay so white. were hanging. Yeah, yeah. I, I would just like to see Sylvester Stallone go on some sort of speaking tour. <laughs> Yeah. He's really good at it. He's lovely. Yeah. He really yeah. is. Yeah. And yeah, he doesn't need to make a bunch of like either ridiculous action movies or little indie movies. I think he could, Has he like, done an Inside the Actress Studio yet? Oh my That's God. That's what I want to watch. Yeah. That'd okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, wait, uh, that applies to all 20 of these nominees, I think. <laughs> well, all of them yeah. should go on Inside the Actress Studio. I could then... see Sylvester Stallone popping in now as a kind of a supporting, like a little bit like what De Niro's been doing. Mm. Like, right. you know, the Find dad. his David O. Russell. Yeah. 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 Well, I think we have Quirky great. Dad. I hope that everyone listens to our career advice. <laughs> I'm sure we have really good ideas for all of them. And then, uh, depending on who wins the Oscar, maybe we'll go back and get really specific with our advice. Sounds good. Before we move on, a word from our sponsor. This episode of Little Gold Men is sponsored by Squarespace.com. If you wanted to start your own Oscar blog and compete with the likes of Gold Derby and VanityFair.com, you could. With Squarespace, you can make sites that look professionally designed regardless of your skill level with coding. There is no coding required, in fact. It has intuitive and easy-to-use tools, and you get a free domain if you sign up for a year. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code GOLDMEN, G-O-L-D-M-E-N, to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace, build a beautiful. to go big before we go home and check back in on Best Actress, which I believe has changed a lot since we last talked about it. It was wide open for a long time, but now, from what I can tell, everyone seems to think that Brie Larson has this in the bag. Do any of us disagree? I think that she is the big cheese. Mm. Yeah. The big Brie. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Uh, no, I think that she just has won enough than other things, and she's been I mean, not that it really matters, but her speeches have been nice and she seems very sort of receptive and the audience seems receptive to her. And I think it's, you know, I think that it it seems kind of inevitable at this point. Mike? Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't be completely shocked if Saoirse Ronan, I would be fairly shocked if she won at this point. That is the only other alternative, it seems, at this point. Yeah, I think, I believe. But Brie seems to have reached that tipping point where even if you didn't kind of 
manage to bring yourself to watch the movie, you're still voting for her because she's just like, it's a known fact that she's going to win. Yeah. But also, I think, you know, a big thing that made me feel confident about her chances was the fact that the movie not only got a Best Picture nomination, which we were questioning whether that was going to happen, but also had a Best Director nomination, which means that there is significant, you know, support for the film, I think, in the Academy. And I got a Best Screenplay nomination, just to round it out. Yes, yeah. So, it it seemed early on like, wow, this is such an amazing movie, it will do great at the Oscars. Then for a while it was like, oh man, it's losing momentum, but... Yeah, we were such doubters. In the end, it had the momentum, and so I think that she's going to, you know, she'll sail in. And she's got the narrative that I think she and Sir Ronan both had it for a while, like they're kind of up-and-comers, they're young, everyone's excited about coronating them, but yeah. Brie is newer. This is her first nomination. It's uh, you know, she's like They both had it going for them, but Brie having won the Golden Globe in the SAG seems to be edging ahead for all the reasons we talked about. She's also, you know, she was a child actress, mm-hmm. and so she's been around for a long time, so I my guess would be that she knows a hell of a lot more people than it sort of immediately seems like mm. she knows, just given look, That's looking probably at true. her adult resume, you know? Yeah. yeah. But she's been around for a long time. So I think that helps. I think, I don't know, maybe also the Jacob Tremblay factor. People like seeing him love when the camera cuts to him and they have yeah. they take cute photos together and present yeah. it very cutely at the SAGs I think it was yeah. you know so like the, uh, there's just a lot of goodwill uh, during this season for her and for that movie that I think you know if there was anyone kind of doubting or their their pen was hovering over who to mm-hmm. vote for and 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 by the way her performance is amazing yes. and so is Saoirse but also you know Saoirse Ronan d- gives a very nice performance in a fairly traditional film, right? There's not like necessarily anything she does where you think, oh my God. Whereas Room, especially that first half, is like that's kind of a, uh, there's more of a narrative there I don't want to say gimmick there's more of a narrative there in I'm terms trying of, to think of like it's like Brie is to Leo in The Revenant as Saoirse is to someone to Trumbo or something no, that's, that's a, maybe that's, Brian that's Cranston and Trumbo or, or, or no. uh, Michael Fassbender and Steve, sure, well, Michael Fassbender and Steve Jobs like a very great performance in a very right. uh, more usual role anyway I mean yeah both performances are great but you're right that Brie kind of has that harrowing Right. aspect to that part. Well, and the midpoint of the film is like unbelievably gripping. Yeah. And and then the second half, she's amazing in a completely different way. So yeah. I think that it's a, it's a meaty, meaty role. So I think it'll be very well deserved when it presumably happens. Yeah. That does it for this week's Little Gold Men. Thank you so much for listening. And again, don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes if you're so inclined. And this episode's award for worst ever Amtrak slogan goes to Lenny Abramson. Oh, you know, you're on a train now, boy. You're going to really... I hope you're fit and I hope you're, you know, eat well, take some exercise. You can find all of us on Twitter. I'm at Katie Rich. Mike? I'm at Mike underscore Hogan. And Richard? Rylaws, R-I-L-A-W-S. And we are all at Little Gold Men. This episode was produced by Sam Dingman and edited by Tim Einenkel. And thanks to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. Find us along with many more great podcasts at panoply.fm. 